0: Father God, we come to you not as students or teachers, but as family, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit to us, that our hearts may be moved by not Sebastian's words, but your words, Lord. And as he speaks your words, please help us to understand. In your name, amen. Morning. How you doing? Some of you didn't answer. It's okay. Should I ask? You guys brought your Bibles? Yes. Okay, you can put them down. Thank you. The questions of God. I've always been fascinated by the fact that God asks questions. And the reason why I'm fascinated by that, and I think you should be too, is that God claims that He is omniscient. And omniscient means what? That God what? He knows how many things? All things. So if a person knows all things, what reason would you have to ask a question, right? Typically, people ask questions because they are ignorant. They are what? Ignorant. They don't know something. They're lacking some form of knowledge. That's why they ask questions. But there's also something that's called a rhetorical question. What is it called? Rhetorical question. Like, for example, when I was 16 years old, my dad said, You know, um, you can go ahead and go out with your friends. And just make sure you're home by, I think it was maybe 10 o'clock or 10.30 at night. And I thought, you know, I was with my god sisters and my god brothers. And so, you know, I'm like, we're, we're all in good company. So if we stretch it a little bit. That'll be all right. And we stretched it to about 1.30 in the morning. And so as I was coming to the door, my father's house in Atlanta, Georgia, was uh, security Tight. <laughs> Guess that's a good word to describe it. If you open a window or a door, it makes this beeping sound. And then when you close the door, Saul's so like, "Man, I don't know how I'm gonna get around this." So I, I walked up to my house and I opened the door, and sure enough, it only seems louder in the middle of the night. Then I turned around, shut the door. And I looked and I saw a shadowy figure, and it looked just like my dad, on the stairs. And I just heard a voice that said, do you know what time it is? Now, did my dad want me to look at my wrist and say, it's about 1.33 in the morning? Is that why he was asking me? Yes or no? no? Why was he asking me? Did my dad know what time it was? His question was, do you know what time it is? Are you aware of the fact that you are late? And thankfully, I lived to tell you the story. But I did suffer some pain. I will tell you that right now. And I never did that again. But in the same sense, rhetorical questions, I believe, are more appropriate to define the questions of God. That God does not ask questions because... He doesn't know. He asks questions because we don't know. And did you know that the first words of God to humanity when they fell was a question? Not a statement. It was a question. Notice with me, in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We already said yesterday how Adam and Eve fell into sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, the Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Bible says, then the Lord, excuse me, the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, what? Where are you? Where are you? Now, I want to suggest to you there's five things that shapes a question. How many things? Five. So let's, number one. The first thing that shapes the question is who is asking the question? Now, we're not going to answer these just yet. And I want to use the question, right, whenever I go places to speak to young people, the question, will you marry me, just seems to fit so easily into explaining this. So if you took the question, right, will you marry me? Who is asking the question affects how you look at the question, yes? So you can imagine, right, if... You know, you're a young lady and you're hanging out with your your best friend, your girlfriend, and while you're walking somewhere downtown, some city, and your your female friend turns to you and says, hey, will you marry me? You'd be like, uh, this is kind of awkward, right? (laughs) This is beyond awkward. You start questioning, like, is this a joke? (laughs) Is this like, you know, you're setting me up for something? Why? Because... Who is asking the question affects how you view the question. But if the person who is asking you is your best friend, right? This guy who has stuck by you, right, through academy, into college, he's always been respectful, he's a good-looking, seven-day Adventist young man who loves the Lord with all of his heart. And he comes and he says, you know, such and such, we've known each other for several years and... I think I'm ready to take that next step in life, and I want you to take that step with me. Will you marry me, right? Then it's like a whole different kind of question. Some of you are already dreaming about it. I can see it in your face. (laughs) Who is asking shapes the question. But the second thing that shapes the question is not just who is asking, but when you ask the question. So can you imagine, right, That here you are, you know, this guy, he's your best friend. He's been there with you, high school, college, academy, et cetera, et cetera. And he's been extremely supportive, godly, good looking, Seventh day Adventist young man. And he decides after you guys are, you know, there at the airport and you pulling into the airport, you drop off your luggage and you're sitting in a terminal and you're like, hey, you know, I need to, you know, go to the restroom. So you go to the back of the plane, to the laboratory. And while you're there in the laboratory, you get a little knock at the door. <laughs> I'm in here. Will you marry me? <laughs> the timing is a little off, right? Yes or no? You're like, uh, <laughs> I'm in here. <laughs> That's all you're thinking. That question was not meant for me. Because of the timing, when you ask a question, affects how you view the question. But not only when, right? Using the laboratory example, you also have where you ask the question, right? On a plane, I'm in the bathroom, you're outside the bathroom. This is not the best place, right? This is not the romantic proposal that every woman was dreaming of. Yes or no? I mean, maybe you, there are some different kind of girls here. <laughs> you're like, propose to me anywhere. <laughs> bathroom, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But if you're a little more traditional, you need to put some effort in, brothers. (laughs) Some creativity into this. And the funny thing is one of my friends proposed to his wife at a rest stop on a highway. I was like, man, those are the nastiest bathrooms No to mankind. And she wouldn't touch his hand because she didn't want to wash her hands or touch anything. (laughs) So when he proposed, she's like, I can't touch you right now. I need to get some sanitizer. (laughs) I'm like, bro, when he called me up and he told me, I was like, what were you thinking? (laughs) The moment just seemed right. On the side of the highway? (laughs) I was just, anyway, I don't want to say his name (laughs) for embarrassing. Who is asking, when you ask, where you ask, but also another thing that shapes the question is why you ask the question. You see, if this guy, he's been your best friend, godly, good-looking, seven-day Venice young man, and he decides, you know what, he waits and he takes you to the beach right there, Santa Monica, the sun is setting, and he gets down on one knee, right, and he's like, such and such, right, will you marry me, right? This is the best place, this is the best time, this is the best person, and then you say, yes, absolutely, he says, okay, I was just checking to see if you wanted to marry me or not. I wasn't serious (laughs) right the next the next scene is go to black (laughs) as you hear the slap ensue (laughs) don't you ever (laughs) (laughs) play with my emotions (laughs) because why you're asking the question are you asking because you just want to know oh I was just seeing if you would actually say yes I'm setting up for the real proposal. She's like, okay, (laughs) you might put your relationship in jeopardy if you do that. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) Or the reason why he's asking is because he says, I'm deeply in love with you. That's why I'm asking. And I believe God has called me to minister to you for the rest of my life, to make sure you make it into the kingdom. That's a completely different reason. And that shapes the question, yes or no? And the last element that shapes the question, this good friend, godly, good-looking, seven-day Venice young man who takes you to Santa Monica. The sun is setting on the beach. He's asking, will you marry because he's madly in love with you, and he's like, I believe that God has called me to this relationship. But how he asked the question... Shapes the question, yes or no? And you guys are thinking, what is this guy going to come up with right now? (laughs) So if he comes up and he's kneeling down, the setting is beautiful, right? This is your best friend. She's thinking, yes, this is it, right? And he gets down on one knee he's like, will you marry me? And you're like, are you asking me or? (laughs) This is not how I envisioned it, right? If he's asking, like, I'm not really confident that I think you're going to marry me. Or he's asking like, "Uh, I'm kind of just doing this as something in passing. So as you're like kneeling down and he just gets down on one knee and he's like, hey, you know, will you marry me? The girl's like, what is this? (laughs) Why are you asking me like that? How you ask shapes the question. Now that we've gone through these different elements, we can apply them to any question that a person asks. There's much more being communicated than just the content of the question itself. So when you go to Genesis chapter 3, in verse 9, we said that God called unto Adam and he asked what question? Come on, stick with me. What question did he ask? Where are you? Now we said the first element that shapes the question is who is asking? Who is asking this question? Who is asking? God. Now, is God asking because God doesn't know? So who, why is he, So he's asking the question because if God knows where Adam is, right? Is Adam literally fooling God behind the trees of the garden? Hide and go seek? Yeah, you can't see me, Jesus. You can't see me. Adam, oh, man, he, I think he's going to find. need to find a better hiding spot. He's God, right? He knows all things. He knew where you were going to hide before you decided to hide there. So, and God is asking, He's saying, I am God. I'm asking the question, where are you? Not because I don't know, but because you don't know. Do you feel the distance between us? Do you notice that normally when I come into the garden, we are in communion, but this time I come into the garden, you are absent? And in asking the question, where are you? God is saying, I'm asking because I'm interested. As we said yesterday, when humanity sinned, all of heaven went silent. The angels stopped playing their harps, but there was one person who was missing. And that person was Jesus. Everyone else sat still. Even the serpent didn't go looking for Adam and Eve. But Jesus came looking and searching for Adam and Eve. He says, I'm looking for you. I want to know where you are. I feel the gap between us. But not just who is asking. We said when he is asking. God asks this question to Adam after Adam has sinned. Did you know that the time that God wants to talk to us the most is when we have failed him? A lot of times when you and I are falling into sin... We've wronged God. That's the time we don't want to go to chapel. That's the time we don't want to pray. That's the time we don't want to study our Bible. We're like, look, I've, I messed up. I can't even go. I can't even bear this. I was counseling a young woman uh, about a year and a half ago. She was a good friend of mine. And as we we're talking, she said, hey, do you think we can go somewhere to talk? So we went to this Chinese restaurant As we're sitting down talking in this restaurant, I'm like, what's going on? And this girl just will not stop crying. And I'm like, what is the issue? And she finally breaks down and she says, look, I've been in some really bad situation. Really bad situation. She says, I've been involved in some relationship I'm like a relationship so you've been sleeping around no big deal I mean it's wrong God does not accept it but he can forgive you she says but this one is different I was involved in a lesbian relationship and we're both in ministry leaders in ministry and she says in my mind she says I can't even go to church I can't even open the Bible she says when I read I hear nothing I feel as if God is forsaking me. Then I go to church. I can't even listen to the sermon because I'm so convicted. I feel dirty. I feel ugly inside. How could I have done this with this other girl? I never had this struggle before. I never had this. And she says, now I don't want to be around Christian people. I don't want to be around spiritual people. And I'm looking and I'm saying, listen, it's when we have failed God that he wants to talk to us the most. That's when he's looking for you. When you don't want to come to him, when you're hiding from him, I'm telling you right now, young person, when you don't want to go to church, that is the time to go to church. When you don't want to pray, that's the time to pray. Now you are in the right spirit. I am unworthy to come. That's why I love the prodigal son story that when he comes back, he's got his little speech in his pocket. He's like, yeah, you know, when I go back, this is what I'm going to tell my dad, right? Dad, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, just make me one of your your hired servants in your house. And as he runs back, and his dad sees him a great way off, and his dad runs out. And there he is, pulls his speech out of his pocket. Dad, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father just cuts off his speech. Why? Because you were never worthy to be my son. You were never worthy. What would make you think that you were worthy to be my son? There's only one person that is worthy in the Bible. Jesus is worthy to be a son of God. But when we come and we are broken... We feel the ugliness of our condition and we fall before God and we say, this is when I don't want to pray because of your purity and my filth. Then we have come in the right spirit. I'm not even worthy, Lord. And that's the beauty of it. You were never worthy. I remember when I was, (laughs) before my daughter was born... And one night I couldn't sleep and I was looking at my wife's stomach and I always talk to my daughter when she was in the womb so that she would know my voice when she was born. Now if she hears my voice she immediately turns in that direction and then she tries to compete with me when I'm preaching so my wife has to take her outside. (laughs) She's trying to yell too. So we have our yelling battles at night before we go to sleep. But when she was there, I put my hand on my my wife's stomach and I started talking to my daughter, but this time it was different. It had heavily come upon my heart that I I said, listen, you don't even know me. I don't even know what you're going to look like. I don't know what your favorite food's going to be. I don't know what your gifts are going to be. I don't know how tall you're going to be. I don't know what passion you're going to have in life, but I already love you. In fact, there's a room in my house for you. And you're not even here. And to think that here, this this baby is in this womb, that one day, if she ever grew up and she looked at me and she said, Dad, I'm doing this so that you can know that I'm worthy to be your daughter. I want you to be proud of me. I I want you to love me. And I would look at my daughter and laugh. I loved you before you knew what love was. I already loved you. I'm already giving up sleepless nights when you don't understand what a sleepless night is. I'm already building cribs, buying clothes, diapers, wipes, all these different things. You don't even understand. And right then and there, I understood in that very moment from a father's heart, this is how God sees you before you were born. You already experienced the love of God before you knew what it was. So when he comes and he's saying, listen to me, as a father, the time I want to talk to my daughter my son the most is when they are failing me. It's when you messed up. It's when you don't want to come. And that's when the father sees his son a great way off and he says, I'm not going to wait for him to get to the porch. I'm going to go run and meet my son. And the Bible says he had compassion, but it doesn't do it justice in the English. It's in the Greek. The the Greek language says his heart of compassion overcame him. He couldn't just stand and watch his son walk. He had to run. He was overcome. And Jesus is trying to teach us about God as our father that when we have failed him, I'm looking for you. You're not looking for me. And so he says, when you have failed Jesus, that's when Jesus is looking for you. And he's asking the question, where are you? But we said where the question is asked makes a difference. And Jesus is asking the question in paradise. There they were. In the Garden of Eden, they were in paradise, and yet they were far from God. You could be in this chapel, you could be in this school, you could be in a spiritual church, and yet you can be far from God. And God is looking for you. And he's asking, where are you? Why is he asking? We already said. He's asking to awaken Adam's conscience. Do you sense that you are far from me? Maybe there is some young person that has failed God in this room. And God is asking you that question. Where are you? Do you sense that you are far from me? Is God looking for you? And the last thing we said is how the question is asked. It'd be different if God came in, right, like, like the, the big bad giant. And it was like, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Jesus is walking, do, do, Adam, Adam, where are you? He was like, yeah, I'd be hiding in the trees too. The big, mean, judgmental God is coming to condemn us and to destroy us. But that's not how God came in the garden. He was walking in the cool of the day and he came and he said, Adam, where are you? I love it like Elijah says, yeah, there was an earthquake. The rocks broke, the winds rent, the fire came, but God wasn't in those things. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small what doest thou hear, Elijah? When I was a kid, oldest of seven, whenever my dad came home, that's when everybody rushed the door. He got out the car. We'd watch him get out of his car, grab his briefcase, and he was walking up to the, door, the front door. And as soon as you hear that, you just hear kids coming from every angle jumping down the stairs, and you hear daddy in different octaves, right? Daddy, 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 you know, (laughs) what's going on, right? And everyone's rushing my dad to give him a hug, to welcome him home. And can you imagine that if one day my dad came home, he opened that door, dee, 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 and it was silent. This is unusual, he would say. Then as he started start walking to the house, he would start calling. Sab, or my sister, Paris, or my brother, Royce, where are you? Only to find us in a closet saying, we heard the sound of your car pulling up in the driveway and we hid because we were afraid. Why are you afraid of me? scared. Why are you scared of me? I'm afraid that you're going to hurt me. It would break my dad's heart. It would break my heart if my daughter did that. How much more the heart of God, as he comes in the garden, when he says, where are you? He's speaking from the heart of a broken father. Why is my child running away from me? God loved you before you ever knew what love was. Are you hiding from Jesus? Is Jesus looking for you? And we think He's going to harm us if we come to him and confess. That's all he wanted. That's all he wanted. Just come and tell me. I already know Adam. Just come and tell me. And now we understand why God hates sin. He hates sin, not because he just hates Sabbath breaking and lying and all these different things. No, 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 no. Fundamentally, God hates sin because it skews our perception of him. He was the same. But their ideas of him were different. And that's why he hates sin. Is God looking for you? Are you hiding from Jesus? Hiding from him in your classwork? Hiding from him in your spiritual involvement? I'm in flame keepers, but in reality, you know you're far from God. I'm hiding in, you know, class elections. I'm the class president. I'm whatever. You're hiding from God. Trust me, people are lost in paradise. It could be a perfect world, which it was, and people were far from God. That's why many of you can sit here and complain about the school. You can complain about this academy all day long, and your assumption is if the academy were perfect, then I would be perfect. You are telling a bold-faced lie. This academy could be perfect, and then it would only magnify the fact of the wickedness in your heart. And how resistant many of us are to God. Even if it were perfect. It was Eden. Why would you rebel? No reason. And even though there was no reason. And Eloi says the gravity of this violation was in the smallness of the restriction. Just don't eat this fruit. It shows the depths of the rebellion. It's Jesus looking for you today. And you may be angry with God. You may be questioning the love of God. You may be like, I don't trust him. I don't want to give my life to him. I don't know what he's going to do with my life. They're from hiding. And while you hide, Jesus calls. Where are you? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe today you just realize that you're far from God. Or you've been hiding amidst the trees of the garden. And you know that Jesus is looking for you. You want to say, Lord, I'm ready to confess. God already knows your condition. God already knows your issues. He's the need. He just needs us to acknowledge He just needs us to acknowledge, to agree. You're right, Lord. I have a problem. You're right. I'm far from you. You're right. You're right. If you want to say, Lord, I'm willing to confess. I'm willing to acknowledge. I am far from you. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to hide. Just invite you to stand as we pray. See so I'm not going to hide. I'm just going to acknowledge. I'm just going to acknowledge, I'm just going to admit. Jesus is searching for me today. You know that he's looking for you. You know that you're far from him. You can't pretend. Jesus knows where you're hiding and what you're hiding behind. Father in heaven, we are standing because we are in great need. We sense, Lord, that that question of God is coming to us. And you are asking each and every one of us, where are You're not asking about our physical location. You're not asking us what in what process or step we are in in our homework. You're asking us about our connection and our relationship with you. Where are you? Why are you absent? Why are you missing? Why are you hiding? And today, Lord, we want to come from behind our trees. And we want to acknowledge that we've messed up that we have failed you. And even though we don't feel like you will accept us, even though we don't feel like you will forgive, even though we may not feel like we are actually far from you, but we will acknowledge, trusting that you will be just as kind and just as loving as you always have been. And that we will find that this man, Christ Jesus, receives sinners just like us. This is our prayer, and we trust that you'll help this to be our experience, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.